McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. Won by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to your forecast episode 109. Well it's four points from six, but is that enough for the Blues to stay in the playoffs? Joining the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you Andy? Hi buddy. Yeah, um, picking ourselves up for the pod after a slightly traumatic last five minutes of the game, wasn't it? Um, yeah, not too bad, thank you bud. Yeah, absolutely. And to people who don't know and didn't see on Twitter or, or wherever, we're actually recording this directly after the Accrington game. So... As you can tell, we're going to be in a massively hyped up mood and, you know, try and bring the positivity and pick ourselves up after that result. Um, Sam Stone, how are you, man? How are you, buddy? Hi, right, mate. Yeah, I'm good. I've just gone from, from come back from the pub after watching the game, walking down the street. Marquis scored. I'm jumping around, screaming. Everyone's looking at me. And then I've just, before I've opened the door, I've just seen the goal go in and I'm just stood there in disbelief. As the free, as the free kick was given away, I'm just like, no, surely this won't come go in. And then, oh my God, the feeling I'm feeling now, I just, it's deflation. But yeah, it'd be good to good to dissect the game and dissect Saturday as well and see what our chances of our, of getting in these playoffs are. Yeah, and then Andy had said to me earlier in the game, Hugh, are you hiding behind your hands? Which is what I was doing at that point, just sort of peeking over my hands. We were speaking about it on Zoom. I had that feeling as well. And I didn't think the goal was going to go in, but we'll get into that anyway. So coming up first, we're going to review the game against Accrington. Then we're going to go back in time and talk about the game against Bristol Rovers. Then we put a question out to you guys. And this week, since we're recording it directly after the Accrington game, we said, send us your questions. Uh, thanks to everyone who sent the questions in. It's much appreciated. We're going to get to those and go through them in detail. And then we're going to preview the game against AFC Wimbledon to give you guys the lowdown and what to expect on Saturday. Right, let's get into it. Where do we start? This first half, bit of a drab performance from Pompey. We came out, we looked like the mid-table team. We had nothing to play for, I'm going to say. John Marquis, Andy Mitchmore, he has gone through the roller coaster of emotions in this game. So let's start with the first half. Missing from two yards was a little bit of a, sh- a shocker there. And you've got to say that all three of us sitting here would have scored that 100%. And that's, that's not because I'm feeling like this after the game. Can you talk to me about what exactly was going wrong at the start of the game, Andy, with John Marquis? Yeah, it's a tough one to put your finger on. I mean, if you even if you discount that the chance that was missed, that as you say, you'd you'd back the majority of us to to put away. Although it's obviously easier said than done on this occasion, I don't think it's an exaggeration. Um, he was missing for the first half. Like, if you completely discount everything that happened in the second half, which, as you say, was quite an emotional roller coaster, it shows how football can change so much in forty five minutes for for someone. He was missing. And the first, I mean, it must have been three of the first four times he had an impact on the game involved losing possession. 
and it started becoming an you know, a theme uh, over the first 25, 30 minutes, 35 minutes of the game. And like, you don't want to sort of pounce on one player by any means when you're reviewing the game. But he was sort of anonymous, completely anonymous and missing. And then capped it all with, yeah, what, what was a really bad miss. And that is pretty much all I've got to say on it because there isn't much to comment on because he wasn't, he wasn't there for the first 45. Exactly. And that's what we were talking about when we were first watching the game. And... I've got to say, Sam, let's get back to the beginning and go back to basics. The setup today, we remain with the sort of the 3-5-2 formation. What were your thoughts when we started with that formation? Do you think, do you think it worked? It, it stuttered in the first half, didn't it? Yeah, um, I, I didn't really understand the, the kind of the change playing James Bolton at centre-half because I actually thought Callum Johnson did a good job there. When he when he did play uh, at the weekend, I didn't. Obviously, we're playing a very out of form the Bristol Rovers side, but they didn't really. Pompey did never really look like conceding a goal, especially in the second half. They looked very solid, so I couldn't really understand the the change there, bringing Ryan Williams off and, and bringing James Bolton in and then pushing Johnson out wide. I didn't quite see that because I thought Johnson was really comfortable, and it just didn't really quite make sense. And obviously, for the first goal for was it, it was Colby Bishop, I think got across the got across Bolton for that header. It was a good header, but. You'd think if that was maybe a Ragger or a Nicolas, and he, he's probably not going to win that header. Uh, so that's that's a little bit disappointing there. But I, I, that's the one thing I didn't really understand. The formation, personally, I don't think the formations. I haven't really got anything wrong with playing three at the back and in, in that kind of way because it does encourage you to try and play out from the back and use your wing backs. And just Pompey haven't nat- got that, that kind of natural wing back at the moment. When you look at like an MK Dons, for example, they they played that way for a year now, and they they've got those those wing backs who play that kind of. They know how to play. They're, they're good at what they do and you can kind of use them and play out. Pompey quite, haven't quite got that yet. So it's kind of, I like the formation, maybe haven't got the personnel to kind of play perfectly in that way just yet. It could be something that could develop later on, definitely maybe into next season that I could definitely see happening, uh, especially under the Cowleys because they do seem to be in, like trying different formations out, which and, and free at the back. I, I'd certainly be interested in seeing it in the longer term, definitely. No, same here. I think that with Callum Johnson, I think it's a good point, Sam, because I was disappointed he didn't start in some ways in the three. Um, I mean, the problem really for me with Callum not starting at the back then is he's actually quite a good passer and he actually moves as well uh, into space and he can obviously pass the ball in tight areas so he's not getting caught in possession at the back. And James Bolton, if he's not good enough to be the tall centre-back in a rugged Nicolaisen style way, but he's also not great at playing the ball forward and doing that as well then as me and Andy were saying he was actually coming across a little bit like the average bang average league one I'd say uh player really across the board but you know not the most disappointing in the same way but Andy Colby Bishop's good player obviously got the goal Accrington looked like the team who were going to score didn't they across the full, across the first half yeah it was a banging header to be fair yeah really really good header you've got to occasionally Take your hat off and say it was a decent finish, but they they were the more threatening team, and I'm, we're going to speak about the second goal in a minute. But it was completely deserved. I think on the balance of the play, you'd say two nil to them at half time would have been a fair result. I don't know what the xG was. I don't particularly care what the xG was. Uh, sorry, Fred, but I really, really don't think that we could complain too much about being two nil two nil down at half time. We didn't particularly look like scoring really, other than sort of a half chance early on with Johnson, who couldn't quite get on the end of that harness ball in. And we didn't, you know, and obviously Marquis miss. But other than that, yeah, 
Accrington just looked more potent going forward. They looked more sound defensively. And yeah, we were just the second best team. I think sometimes you've just got to admit that you aren't as good as, or you didn't play as well as the opposition for 45 minutes. And Sam Pompey were outdone by the first set play goal of the game. Ball comes in. I still think, and I know you said before about that formation not being an issue. I think it was an issue, as you said, about the players not being able to play the system very well with the personnel who are selected because from their balls, no one's really picking each other up and the three at the back just look lost, mate. Personally, I, I do feel that the, the Cowleys are just trying to work out what the kind of the best system is just to get results at the moment and then there's not really like a kind of set style of play. I, I'd love to see, give it, give it say six six to eight months and when they can really implement a formation and style of play. I know some of the questions we've got later on kind of talk about this, about the formation and whether we'd be whether we'd be, whether we'd be keen on playing it next year. But th- these players have been used to, for the majority of the season, the Kenny Jacket 4-2-3-1. Like we, I can't really think that many times we reverted from that formation. It has been the 4-2-3-1 every single, every single game and, and it's been a certain style of play relatively direct trying to not not mess about with the ball in our own box essentially and not make mistakes in our own box and I can see I can see your point you know these players just for me it seems to be playing a certain way but we maybe don't have the players to play like that um, especially in the in the centre half position I mean I can only really see Nicolas and being the one being able to kind of pass the ball out and spot a pass from, from playing out from the back and but again if you if we got those players maybe a ball, a couple more ball-playing centre-halves, then I could really see that being something, especially free at the back. As I mentioned, the wing-backs become really important then where you can, you can use them and use these triangles that Cowley likes to mention. If you've got a centre-half that can play the ball out consistently or a couple of centre-halves that can do that, it can be a really dangerous system. Like Teams like MK Dons are really showing that this season. No, I agree. And, and we'll come on to what I think we can do because... What it is, is I'm not placing this on a sort of let's blame this or that for what's for what's gone on or what's wrong. I'm just trying to think of it from a from a perspective maybe of what the coaching staff would come from on the level of what can we do to get this team into the playoffs now? What can we do to get this team over the line? You know, is it is it possible to get that level of performance out of this team consistently enough this season to get us into the playoffs? And you have to think with this result, no matter what you do to tinker with it. The players have got to come through with it, really, at the end of the day, haven't they? So, all right, let's go into the second half thing because the players did bounce back with a reaction. Lads go off the pitch, heads down, confidence is shot. I'm feeling it's going to be difficult to turn this around. And bam, some sort of halftime talk, whatever's got on there. Players sort themselves out, come out for the second half. There's some big changes. And John Marquis is the unlikely hero, I'm going to say, from his first half performance. He comes through the goal. Andy, the ball's put through on goal and I've just seen it. It's John Marquis earlier on. He's not playing well. I'm just like, one of these has got to go in, isn't it? And on the second attempt, it did. Yeah, it was um, the initial effort he had there from that one-on-one just didn't look high on confidence, did it? Sam and I were just saying before before the recording that it didn't look like a confident first attempt, uh, even though it was through on goal. But yeah, thankfully, ball rebounds back off the keeper fairly favourably. And you've got to say it is a... It is a composed finish to follow up to have the, sort of the, the peace of mind to, to sort of chip it over the goalkeeper who's down on the ground rather than 
snatching at it, which is potentially what's happened in a few other occasions recently. Um, so yeah, credit where it's due, absolutely. And I think, yeah, you have to give credit because there, there was a reaction, right? At the start of the second half, I know we were watching the game together and we didn't hold a huge amount of hope of Pompey getting back into the game, to be honest with you at that point, because there were no real clues that it was going to happen. So whatever was said at half time, I think you do have to give credit to whoever was speaking at half time because they they got a reaction for the first few minutes of the second half that really pulled us back into the game. No credit where it's due, you've got to say that. The players come out, get a reaction, and to be fair, managed to go on and get a second one. Sam, what was your reaction when Pompey managed to get back and get that second goal? Well, I didn't actually. No one saw it, Hugh, because because all I follow is up to its usual tricks. <laughs> it? It was, exactly, uh, the trick question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, oh, I was actually, I was actually, we were watching the replay of that really good save by McGilvery because it again another good save, probably my man of the match tonight. But yeah, and then obviously the the, the replay flew off and the ball's in the net and Rip Williams off celebrating. So yeah, gone from one emotion to another. But again, it looked a bit of a direct goal, quite route one. But fair play to Williams, he was. He was gambling. He gambled on that ball being going through the defender, and it was a composed finish as well because it was quite a tight angle. And you know he could have maybe snatched it at first time, but he he had the composure to use the pace that he's got and get around the keeper and to slide it in. Again, it was a great reaction from half time because as I, I agree with you two, like when when we went in two 0 I did not expect us to get back into that game at all. I could, because of Pompey's previous record when coming from behind, regardless of whether we've had new management or not, I, I just don't ever fancy this team when they go a couple of goals behind. And for them to turn it around within eight minutes of of the second half whistle, I, I, it was quite impressive. And it was didn't they didn't really have to do that much to kind of to get the goals, but you know they they put them away. And I'm sure it's a reaction that you'd want to see, the fans want to see, the manager wants to see. I don't personally would have, I couldn't have seen it if it was under a Kenny Jacket team. I don't necessarily think we would have turned it around that quickly. So, yeah, obviously positive for the boys to do that. And again, I just, it's just frustrating we couldn't hold on. And it's still annoying me now because we've managed to, we managed to get back a 2 0 lead and get in front. But, you know, it is what it is. We're still in, still in with a shout, obviously, with the chart and results. So we'll just, we'll just see what happens. But last two games, very important. I think it's a it, it's a psychological benefit there as well of actually getting back into the game if we're looking forward to the final few games of the season as well. Because let's say hypothetically we'd gone through the second half here and not laid the glove on Atkinson Stanley like was the case for most of the first half and then the game peaks out into a 2 0 result. I think that has a huge effect on our other game with them. So I'm trying to see this as sort of the first leg almost of a, of a two-legged game at the end of the season because we have to play them in such a short space of time twice. And I just I do think that that reaction at the start of the second half, you know, it, it changes the mentality going into the second time we play them slightly in terms of how they see Pompey as a threat because they know that you know or they, they've seen in you know first first hand that Pompey can be dangerous when you know the head gets screwed on right after a break or at the start of a start of a half. So I do think psychologically being able to come into the game so quickly is going to make a difference potentially the second time we play them. Again, I'm trying to find the positives after conceding a 95th minute equaliser, but I think that is quite a big one. Well, it could be, or you could say that Accrington would take the confidence from scoring right at the death to to do that the other way around. But so Sam mentioned about Williams coming on, 
sorry, about Williams taking the finish. You've got to have credit to the substitution, I suppose, bringing Williams on. Maybe should have started there originally, as Sam mentioned, on the right wing back role, should allow Callum Johnson to start at centre-back on the right-hand side. I think that, in retrospect, could have been a good idea. But what did you think, Andy, about Close and Cannon having the switch? Because we'll talk about Cannon's absolutely awful challenge later on, or needless challenge, is what I'm going to say. Needless challenge to give away the last goal. But what did you think of the switch for Close for Cannon? I think, or I thought that, uh, yeah, Cannon came on and had a generally positive impact on the game. Obviously, there's a, a large exception to that in the last minute. But I don't think that takes away from the fact that he came on and had a good impact on the game. I think Close, you know, didn't have a, a really poor game by any stretch of the imagination, but did get done, for want of a better word, a couple of times, particularly one of the times that um, Hackington hit the bar. I can't remember who it was, hit the bar, kind of side, and I think it was Close. Uh, did like a kipper on the right-hand side of, or their right-hand side of the area. And I didn't really see that happen at all with Cannon. He didn't, didn't seem to get as isolated after coming on, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, had a, had a solid solid second half of the game until yeah, 94 minutes plus a little bit. Personally, I think it was a kind of, a, I kind of agree with Andy. I do think it was an Andy Cannon type of game, especially in the second half, the conditions, the, the, the way Accrington were playing quite like in their face is quite a high press. Like I do think it was a, an Andy Cannon type of game as opposed to a Ben Close type of game. Again, as Andy said, I don't necessarily think Ben Close had a bad game, but I do feel that the conditions, the way the game was going, it just suited Andy Cannon more, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's fair enough, I think. That's fair enough. I, I thought Andy Cannon was just... A, he, obviously, he's keen to impress. He's been He's lost his place in the side a little bit, starting with Closey. And it comes on a couple of times. He was giving away sort of over-eager free kicks, you know, one in one in the corner against Charles as well. I remember he ran in and sort of just a little bit over-eager to get the ball. I think sometimes you just got to have a bit of a calmer head, but we'll get to that. Let's go on to the winner. Well, not the winner, obviously, because it should have been the winner, but 91 minutes, John Marquis, the hero, it bubbles through to him and he literally scissor kicks it into the corner. Jubilation as I jump off my sofa, rip my shirt off and celebrate only to put it back on five minutes later. Andy, just talk us through the roller coaster emotions of the last five minutes in stoppage time, starting with the first goal. For John, well, John Marcus's second goal. Firstly, thank you so much for the whole shirt off experience on the video Zoom call. That uh, Zoom call that was enjoyable for a number of reasons. Uh, yeah, it was. It video was out later on. Yeah, sincerely <laughs> <laughs> hope so, but. I have a million have come back to that. I'm not going to say any of them. Yeah, it was a um, hell of a last five minutes, right? Because we were saying that Pompey really still needed a winner. Looking at the other scores, because Charlton were winning at this point as well. And at the end of the day, it was never going to be completely in our hands or in all likelihood, it wasn't going to be completely in our hands whether we made the playoffs or not. But getting that winner with Charlton winning as well was just, it was absolutely huge. And yeah, as you say, you get a, a long ball played into the box and the ball sort of sits nicely for, for Marquis to actually score quite an acrobatic effort. And again, that's the sort of, we talk about confidence and scoring breeding confidence. You just don't know if that's the sort of attempt that we'd have seen if he hadn't got the goal under his belt earlier in the half. Um, so I'm sincerely hoping that what happened 90 seconds later doesn't affect that confidence. But yeah, it was a real poacher's effort, wasn't it? And it's what potentially we've been yeah, lacking a little bit. Um, with so few striking options and the option we have being so horrendously out of out of form and, and low on confidence. And 
yeah, it was an unsavable finish. Q topless scenes and and this, that, and the other, and Sam running down the road screaming and scaring people. <laughs> and yeah, and then uh, nice and chilled out. See the game out, lads. Nothing silly. Don't give away any silly dead balls. Okay, everyone behind the ball. Uh, we've given away a dead ball set piece. No worries. Everyone behind the ball. You know, got to keep a last line of defence. All right, brilliant save. Oh, right. And the thing is, you, I saw, I saw the goal notification because we were on iPhone. I saw the goal notification just before I went in. So I was trying not to spoil it for you, and I could see that hope on your face for about ten seconds before, yeah, I knew what was about to happen to you. And it was a little bit sad to be honest with you, but. It's the first time I felt sick at a football game for a fair while. Like, well, we just fell into silence, didn't we? It's, yeah, it's weird when when it happens live at a game. You've got you know seventeen, eighteen thousand people around you, and it's a bit of a different experience when you're sat in your own bedroom alone with one person on a Zoom call, and then you can you go from that high to that low. And yeah, I I do feel a little bit physically sick at the final whistle. To be honest, so we had to go go downstairs for five minutes before coming back up to record this because it's it's like being punched in the stomach, isn't it? Yeah, it was eerie the quietness here, and it was one of those things. Though but I do want to say, you know, John Marcus has done really well to get the two goals in the in the second half and come back, and he didn't have a great start to the game, obviously, but he fought through that. And all we could ask for him two goals. If you said before the game, John Marcus to get two goals in the game, I. I would have snapped your hand off for that. And, you know, he did really well to come back and get those. Obviously, Sam, he concedes that the own goal, it's not his fault, is it, at the back post? It just comes off him from a Craig McGivery save. Yeah, you, uh, when it when it went off him and I saw it was him, you do have to feel a little bit sorry for him. A striker, horrendously out of form up until today, thinks he's got the like the, a winner for his side that could potentially get him in the playoffs. 92nd minute goes up the other end and he can do nothing about it just McGilvery just palms it straight into his shins and it just goes in I really do I do have a lot of sympathy for him and like as a striker you, you don't get that you know when you're scoring everything's great you know everything you touch goes in and he's been in that run of form where every time Marcus has been in front of goal I have not been confident that he's going to score like, whereas if we, if it was a Brett Pittman, for example, I'm, not, I'm relatively confident the ball's going to be smashed in the back of the net. He, even the winner tonight, when it, when I saw it was Marquis in front of goal, I, there was a part of me that was like, he's just going to scuff this into the ground and it, or he's going to mishit it or something like that. And credit to him, it was a great finish. It was almost... I, can you tell if it was kind of like a bicycle kick or like a scissor kick? But it, it didn't. He, I don't know if he made it look harder than it needed to be, but it was a good finish. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, you do have to feel sorry for him. But you, he can just do nothing about it. I, personally, I said to Andy before before the podcast, I think McGilvery can do a bit better. I know he saved it tonight. He'll probably get man of the match, but maybe could have caught the ball. I was about to say that. Out. I was going to say, it, it, yeah, it was <laughs> quite close. It was quite close to him. Like the ball, at first, it kind of was out wide, but it did come back in towards him, and maybe could have caught that instead of palming it out to to Marcus's shins, and then obviously end up in the back of the net. It, yeah, he. I think he probably could have, but on the balance of play, considering he was bombarded in goal and made some quite yeah, good plays, yeah. we're going to let him off on that one. And I can't, I can't, I can't ever go at him. <laughs> that would have gone anywhere as well. That 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 hitting Marquis could have gone off for a corner. It could have bounced out. It could have gone anywhere. But in the own net, it's just absolutely gut wrenching. Yeah, on the other hand, I suppose we were absolutely gutted, thinking Charlton have won and Blackpool have won. 
But then potential new Pompey folklore legend Owen Dale steps up, which could be a massive goal for Pompey. He equalises with the last kick of the game against Crew, according to the Charlton website. Boohoo. Uh, and Charlton obviously then go and uh, draw two all against Crew. That's got to be a motivating factor, I think, for the players coming off when they find that find that out. When they come off, they hear that Charlton drop points in the 96th minute. Do you think that's going to be something, Andy, that the team can at least rally behind and, and see them start in sixth? Yeah, exactly. I think the, the table would look very different to to us if Charlton had picked up an extra two points there. Um, they would have been level on points with us with a game in hand rather than two points below us with a game in hand. And they've got a tough run in. They've got, I think it's Hull, Accrington and who's the Lincoln. third team they've got? Lincoln. Lincoln. So yeah. So they've got three teams either in, you know, the... Well, either in the automatics or playoffs or Accrington, I mean, up a mid-table, but have shown tonight that they're no mugs. So, yeah, I think that psychologically is a big step because now they, to, to go above us and take advantage, they need to win all three games. Whereas if they'd won that game, they could afford two wins and a draw. So I think you look at how tough those games are. And if they win all three of those and go above us, then you'd say they, they deserve to because that's the crunch part of the season. If you can beat the probable league champions, the team who are going up sort of in the first playoff position and a solid top mid-table team in your final three games to seal it, then yeah, fair play, good on you. Um, but I think it does give us a little bit of a lift after what was obviously a difficult end to the evening. But yeah, I'm trying to trying to look at positives here. And if, if at half-time you'd said to us, right, Pompey are going to come back and pick up a point from the game and Charlton are not going to win their game because they were winning at the time as well. They're going to drop two points we probably would have snapped your hand off. So I know it's, it's frustrating the way it has happened, but at the same time, this could have been a lot worse tonight. Uh, the other results around us, because, you know, a lot of the teams around us were playing each other. It could have been a hell of a lot worse. All right, let's just talk about something a bit positive on this one. Let's throw some positivity in here. Bristol Rovers, George Byers, ball goes through. It's a quick breakout from the back, which I thought was quite good to see, obviously. That's the kind of thing you'd hope to see the Cowleys working on the training ground. Ball goes forward. George Byers... Little cheeky flick straight through. Ronan Curtis, he opens his body up nicely, so he's onto his right foot. Takes a shot very quickly. I think it might take a small deflection, but I'm not sure. But it goes through, into the back of the net. Pompey win, 1-0, five at the back. Defend for the rest of the game. Oh, there they are, Bristol Rovers. Sam, anything to add to that game? Um, what is there to talk about Bristol Rovers apart from that goal? And that was it. That was That was literally it. A real moment of quality from uh, from Ronan Curtis and, and George Byers in particular. Byers, I feel that moment's been coming for a while now. Um, the little cameos I've seen of him, he, he's looked very good on the ball, silky on the ball, good eye for a pass, has a moment like that in him. And it, it was nice to see it kind of pay off for once. I feel like he was a victim of the bad performances at the end of the Kenny Jacket era, especially the one at Northampton. Uh, Bristol Rovers as well I thought he at the away game there I thought he played really well in the first half and he was just unfortunate to be a kind of victim of a, a team that was in poor form and it was nice to see him get a chance uh, get a chance on Saturday and, and he really took it especially and, and with a game defining moment and that that was a really clever touch and, and you could tell it was just that bit of quality that maybe is, is that league above slightly um, he just he just feels like he's got so much time on the ball because of his first touch he, he's he, you can tell he's from the champion from a championship club. He just needs that needs that run of games to really really cement his place in the side. And 
against against Accrington tonight, he was a little bit unfortunate in in the way the game went, the kind of the conditions, the tempo of the game. It, it was didn't seem to be a game that really suited him down to the ground. But again, a player that I do feel if we can prolong our season by hopefully three games, maybe two games, a player that could be really important. You think he'd be better suited to playing on a pitch at, at Wembley rather than at the Crown Ground, do you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. To be, I've got a good credit. Fratton Park has been superb this year, the pitch, and he, he looked good there on Saturday. Yeah, massively. Well, I think we'll, we'll leave it there and get into the most important stuff because you guys said there's lots of questions to get into, so let's go for that. And we said, because it's Andy Mitchell's birthday tomorrow... Congratulations, Andy. Happy birthday, motherfucker. We are recording this one day early. I'm not commenting. I'm turning 30 and it's not all right. So, yeah, well, I've got like two and a half hours before I start my midlife crisis. So this is a good time to record the pod. Don't worry, I'm a few years older. So I've been telling Andy the importance of saving for his pension. So we've been through that boring shit. But let's go into it. So... Andy Mitchell's birthday, so I asked you guys, send us any questions, opinions, or match reaction to tonight's episode. So let's go into it. Forgotten Pompey Goals messages in, cheers, and he says, three at the back was a big problem tonight. Accrington ripped us apart on the wings. We need Lee Brown back ASAP to bring balance back to the defence again. Well, no, look, I think we should get Lee Brown back. I know we discussed about three at the back. I like the system going forward from a sense of a style of play, etc. I'm a little bit concerned that we look so dodgy at three at the back. We look all right going forward when, when the passing's working. Um, but I still think for this team with the players we have right now, for me, I'd rather have Lee Brown back at left back, Callum Johnson back at right back, Nikolaisen and Raggett. Let's sort out the forward players from there because at the moment, we look like we could have conceded five against Accrington today quite easily. They hit the woodworks three times, I think, in the game. I personally do agree. I think we need to go to get Brownie back in and go to the back four. Yeah, I'd agree with you, Hugh. Um, the, the best the best performances we've seen from Pompey under Cowley have been the first half against Shrewsbury uh, and kind of second half against Ipswich as well was very impressive. I do feel that those are the games, particularly that first half against Shrewsbury when we played that three at the back, uh, sorry, four at the back with Lee Brown Lee Brown bombing down that left left hand side, and obviously he set up the he set up the goal for Marquis. That that was when I thought we were most effective. And again, I just don't necessarily think we've got the, the centre halves to play and the, the the right kind of players to play free at the back. So I, I, if Lee Brown's fit, I, I can see us going straight back to a back four personally. Tony Little messages in. He says, "Why have the team looked like relegation candidates since Christmas?" When they look solid promotion contenders at the first half of the season, what happened? Let's be let's be honest, right? We got lucky, right, <laughs> to a certain amount of time on the jacket. As always in the end, in the second half of the season, teams suss us out, one dimensional, no no plan B. I gotta say, things are turned around fairly well at the moment. And yeah, the team is 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 struggling, but I don't think it's fair to say the first half of the season, Sam, was it, is going to be put down as, as a as a massive success, even the team top at Christmas? Uh, that, that run we went on it from just it was like the kind of November or end of November to January time was impressive, but it was it was built off a a solid back four. There was no real invention going for, no real creativity. It was just about kind of the the zeros and ones, if you like, just just getting those those clean sheets and picking up the result. I mean, we, we beat 
the team that's going to win the league hull 2-0 away from home and we didn't score they scored two own goals <laughs> I mean that kind of it kind of tells you all we all you need to know about it but that was because the team looked so good defensively and, and there was that kind of solid structure and but the fa- the fans didn't the fans never really kind of engaged with it I personally wasn't entertained like that much watching Pomp even though even when we were winning and from the last, how long McCauley's been in charge now? What, 10 games? Is it 10 games? It must be 10, eight to 10 games. I'm yeah, trying 10. to think what it is. Yeah, I've been, I've, I've had more entertainment in these last 10 games than I have, than I had the whole season um, when Jacko was in charge. And, and I get that football's obviously about winning. You want to want to be up there. But after what we've been through for the last four and a half years, it's been refreshing the last, the last kind of 10, 10 games, seeing, so getting entertained, you know, having these high-scoring games. Bits, you know, if if they score, we'll go score two. You know, we never had that with Jacket. It was all about those zeros and ones. And I, I get at Christmas we were top, and it has been quite a remarkable capitulation um, since then. But I, I personally, I just needed a bit more entertainment with with the football I was watching, and and, and the last ten games have given me that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think. The, the, the fact that we had that reaction tonight with uh, Marquis scoring what we thought was the winner and there's been other occasions as well since the Callies took over where like I said on, on the pod a couple of weeks ago like I sort of shouted at the TV I've clapped I've stood up I've actually like got up out of my chair with excitement watching Pompey and yeah wh- whatever happens at the end of the season I'm grateful for that because we've had some of those moments again that are sort of the reasons you go to football matches in person when we're able to. And it's the reason that, you know, I don't actually want to work out how much I've spent on iFollow this year, um, watching the absolute vast majority of the games, even when it was grim, because you do it for those moments where, yeah, you get that moment of just loving the game. And yeah, we had that tonight. We've had it a couple of other times since the Cowleys took over. Whatever happens by the end of the season, you know, what will be, what will be, what will be, will be, and all of that cliche jazz. But um, yeah, it's nice to actually really feel into the football again. Like the apathy that we had is sort of dissolved a little bit. And that feeling of, you know, the, the Papa John's trophy final, I put on because I thought I had to really. And I was watching it with, and I, I came prepared with unhealthy snacks because I was fairly certain it wasn't going to be an enjoyable watch for football's sake. So I just got beer and crisps, which I wouldn't normally do watching a game. And it was just sort of a mentally preparing myself to get through it. Whereas now I'm just, you know, quite actually keen to watch the games again. And not every game is going to be a classic. They're still figuring out their system. You can see they're playing around a little bit, probably looking forward to, to how they're going to implement things over summer and hopefully moving forward into the start of next season. But it's it's nice to be like interested in watching Pompey a little bit again and yeah, getting emotionally invested in it. And sometimes that's going to hurt like it did the last minute tonight, but there's going to be bigger highs as well. I just feel connected again to the whole thing. And and, and as Andy mentioned there about summer, like whether in the championship, which is, I get quite unlikely, or in League One, I'm just really excited for this summer to see to see what's going to happen and to see what they're going to build and to see what way they want to take the team and what they're going to do with the academy, whether they'll be under 23s. I'm really excited and connected again with the football club and it's not a feeling I've had for a long, long time. I think some fans I saw online are saying this, Pompey sort of being in the promotion hunt still, but sort of limping in there they fought before and, you know, when we weren't winning and 
it is a bit confusing, isn't it? Because we are thinking ahead to next season, sort of, when we should really be mm. waiting for this season to finish. But you can't help but be excited to want to skip ahead yeah. to the next the next season, really. Um, mm. It's almost like you're catching up on a TV show and all your mates are on season three and you're still trying to finish season two, trying to get to it. Um, that's that's literally thought. what I've got with Line of Duty, mate. I'm still cracking through season four at the moment and I'm trying to avoid everything in season six. But yeah, it's literally the same thing. You're right. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that. I've seen it, by the way. I think it's good. Um, let's not, let's not, let's not, not chat about Line of Duty don't, right now. I'm sure enough people me. are talking about that. Um, James <laughs> Taylor messages in. What do you think of Pompey's 3 0 win away at Accrington earlier tonight? Well, James, you got the result half right with Pompey scoring three goals. Um, that would have been great. James, Jimmy Mill messages in. He says, opinion. It feels like we score about 20% of the chances we get on goal, but we're conceding 100% of chances faced. How can anyone expect us to get out of this league when an underfunded jacket defence is beyond me? Restart needed in the summer. Restarting in the summer, we, we sort of discussed this in the last episode of me and Andy. There's going to be a restart, whether it's in the League One or the Championship. The squad is going to be rebuilt. I mean, it's, it's seeming more unlikely, but I'd rather we rebuild a squad for the Championship, not just for League One. If you've got to rebuild it, it's better to not have to do it twice. But yeah, what do you guys feel about the idea that we concede 100%? I do, I do feel, that obviously, it's exaggerated to that level, but there is that feeling, isn't there, when it's going forward that we can concede? I mean, I, I don't know if I completely agree. I think a lot of that is psychological or selective memory because on, on one hand, we frequently talk about how Craig McGillivray is, you know, potentially the best player in the team and has bailed us out of so many positions. And we, we, we can't say that and then at the same time say, oh, actually, Poppy concede every chance that we give away to another team. The, the two narratives don't sit alongside each other. So I, I, do, I, I think a lot of it is psychological. Are you being pernickety though? Is it not on just the level of when the other team goes forward, there's a good chance or a goal scoring chance created from it rather than we're going to concede? I think maybe it's a feeling that we could concede because of the quality of chance of giving away. Yeah, but again, I think if when I'm watching a game live and Pompey have got a free kick sort of on the, the corner of the penalty box 25 yards out, I'm thinking, oh, odds of us scoring this are pretty slim. When the other team have got a free kick from exactly the same area, I'm thinking, oh, dead sir, we're going to concede. But I think that's the same for every team. But I mm. I do agree that we've been less potent going forward in, and that has been a concern because we've talked about how the you know goals are spread throughout the, the team and that has been less the case recently. So, yeah, there, there's definitely a sort of an element of truth to it. But I do think it's exaggerated a lot by sort of recall bias and just sort of general confirmation bias. You remember the certain... You know, you remember certain jump-out events that are normally us conceding or us not scoring that, that fit the narrative that your brain's created. I don't want to get too psychologically heavy because I think there is a there is some truth to it, but I don't think it's probably as as exaggerated as we would recollect it to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm just sorry, Andy, because I just realised something quite important. I didn't mention that Paul Downing came on in the game against Atkinson. <laughs> Uh, sorry if you listened, Paul, because I think last week I said clear out the dead weight and um, looking at you, Downing. I didn't really expect you to make an appearance from honest. But the point really is, Paul Downing comes on. I don't understand this one at all. I, 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 I don't understand the need of wanting to play Downing at the back at all. And he, he looked pretty awful to me. Sam, is it my passionate dislike for Paul Downing or is it generally, did he do anything positive? <laughs> I... I would say, on the whole, I agree with you. There, there should be a passionate 
dislike the Paul Downey. However, <laughs> when he came on, I didn't necessarily think he was that bad uh, in that overall. I couldn't really put him to blame for anything, but I was more like shocked that I, I had to look twice. So I was like, hang on, who is that at centre half? Is that, have we signed someone new? But it was actually Paul Downing. I couldn't really believe it. Um, uh, yeah, it, I think in the last, I met maybe in the last podcast that you two mentioned that he'd actually got another year on his contract has, with us. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's remarkable. That, I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> it's obviously going to get snapped up by another team. And you know, anyone listening to this who's not a Pompey fan, get pulled down in your side. But the point it really is, is that I, I disagree. I thought it was bad. I thought he tried to play it simple at first. He tried lumping it long and getting it away from him. You know, can't make a mistake if the ball was not next to him. And then he started passing it out. Anyway, um, I'll stop my... I pull down in right and move on. The third tier lads messages in. They said, if you don't secure promotion, lads, where do you most want to strengthen next season? What players would you realistically want to sign? Okay, so let's get a bit hypothetical on this. I'm going to say the first thing we need is a striker. Yeah. Yeah. So if we're going to be in League One next season, let's let's take it that way. Let's have a look at what sort of strikers. Who comes to mind? Do you want to get Colby Bishop from tonight up front, Sam? Uh, I'll, I'll go for his partner in crime, Dion Charles. <laughs> yeah, don't know if yeah. it's a don't know if it's a realistic one, but a name that I know their chairman Andy Holt always on Twitter, always raving about him, always saying you know when a club comes in gives him a few million for him, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, looks a really good player and a, a kind of striker that can do a bit of everything as well. He's got that pace in behind, got that. Ability to hold the ball up can finish, unlike some strikers that we we know very well. Um, so yeah, that that would be he he's one of the ones who comes to mind straight away. Uh, the thing is, we, usually when we do our transfer things, you kind of give us a bit of warning so we get a bit of time to to get on the old the soccer stats and have oh a look, no, we but... actually do. We, you trying to tell the listeners that we actually do research into who we yeah. recommend usually, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, he's a good player. He was actually, I actually wrote the um, the small position view for the program practicing today, and he was my player I'd like to see in the Pompey side if we, I got the choice of one. Um, I like Sean McConville as well. I think he's a good player. I like I liked watching him absolutely skin past our players today when I said, Oh, I like, you know, he's a decent player because he then ripped us apart. Um, Andy, is there anyone that stuck out for you this season so far or someone you'd like to sign? And what position do you want to strengthen? Yeah, I was, I was looking into this earlier. I think at the moment, the big, I mean, we're going to have some centre back turnover I'd imagine over summer I'd hope over summer I think that's somewhere we've we've been fairly vulnerable recently and we're potentially going to need to bring in uh, at least one replacement over summer um, potentially two is, is more likely I think going forward I'm concerned about the goal scoring options up front and I know it's a very sort of reductionist way of looking at things or, or maybe it's a bit too reductive to say yeah we need a goal scorer it's a very easy thing to say when, you know, Marquis has scored, what is it, 17, 18 or something this season now. Um, but in terms of sort of a consistent player, I'm, I'm looking for players that have sort of stood out in, in potentially poorer teams. So maybe someone like Joe Piggott from Wimbledon. Um, I agree with Sam Shout on Dion Charles. I think that would be, a again, I don't know how realistic it would be, but um, would, would definitely strengthen the side. Um, yeah, potentially Jerry Yates at Blackpool if they don't go up. I don't know why he'd move like for like to be honest with you you could definitely argue that would be a sideward or even potentially slightly downward step at the moment and I actually looked at this earlier on I, I pulled up the league two top scorers because you, you always want to sort of 
steal an informed player from the league below. That's quite a League One thing to do. And I was looking at the, the top few goal scorers, and you've got James Vaughan, you know, being there, done that. Owen Doyle, being there, done that. We kind of seem to have made our way through quite a lot of the, the other players, you know. Um, Jamil Matt is doing things down there. I don't think that would be too well received. I think we need to be looking realistically at League One level players at least because what we've done previously in terms of trying to identify that new big goal scorer from the league below just hasn't really worked. But yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Piggott come in personally, but I, again, I'm not convinced it will happen. I'm thinking as well, as a striker, we're going to need to replace someone, especially if Byers ends up, obviously, I think he's going back to Swansea, as I'm saying, you know, you've got 30-odd appearances for them in the championship season before, and he's been a bit part player here. I don't think they're going to want us to retain him. I think he's going to go back anyway. If if that, if that is the case, you maybe look at someone like Scott Fraser um, from Milton Keynes, Dons. They, they already said they think that he may have his, his you know, one foot out the door, a little chat between them. He's not being quite as as good maybe at the end of the season, but he, I mean, he's been, he was phenomenal for them. And I think me and Freddie have been saying for the last two years, we should, we should look to get him in. But I think behind a striker who's, who's prolific, if you're going to play this passing system, I think Scott Fraser, bigger shout. Yeah. I've always liked the look of Scott Fraser as well. And obviously I know you and Freddie kind of wax lyrical about him quite a bit, especially on this podcast. And I, I obviously against played MK Dons have a week. He was, he was impressive. And, He's been very good for them this season, especially with ice cool penalty penalties he takes as well. He's, he's got got some ability for the penalty spot. But yeah, I was really surprised he went to MK Dons in the first place. I think that was a really good pickup by them. But Same, yeah, yeah an, another one I was and I know we've there was rumours maybe Jack Payne from Swindon. Uh, he's out of contract, so that'd be a cheap that'd be a cheap one to get. Worked with Cowley before at Lincoln. Uh, it, it's hard. It is it's hard to kind of pick names. Out of, like from the top of my head, but again, as Andy said, another position that I do feel is is needed is is centre half. That there's going to be definite turnover this year. Obviously, with the Jack Watmore situation, Nicholson likely to go back. Paul Downing probably will be offloaded. I'm we all hope and pray. So that leaves us with with Sean Raggett. So we do we do need we do need at least two, maybe three centre halves to come in who are who have the ability, ability to play football on the deck if that's the way we want to go and I'd also as well it's maybe a bit of a maybe a bit of a kind of a rogue one I think we need another centre midfielder um, to challenge Tom Naylor not to not to play alongside him I think we need a, a, a centre midfielder who's going to be able to play out from the back be good on the ball but also be combative and also kind of do that job that he does you know the, the, the cut, cut passing lanes intercept but also be good on the ball uh, that might be quite hard to find at this level but that's just one that I've kind of I've always thought that recently I do feel that we need to we need to kind of look at. So you're saying we're good on the wings, but everywhere else, essentially. <laughs> yeah, w- wing, wings are all good. <laughs> so Sam, what are you saying? If first game of next season we line up with a, a ragged Downing, Daniels, Johnson back four, how how are you feeling? Uh, I'll be back in the uh, the Rutland with you lot. <laughs> <laughs> straight, straight, straight out the door <laughs> I'll throw another name out there I'd quite like to look at maybe Tom Lowry from Crew. if you're going to look for centre midfielders I, I, I like him he plays the ball round nicely in the Crew system he gets the ball ticking he's only 23 years old I think he's second in assists for Crew this season uh, with around seven he, he really gets the ball moving in there in that sort of passing system Sam you're giving me a funny look what is it no 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 I was going to say because <laughs> no 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 I, I, I'm interested because when I watched the Crew game there was 
I can't remember his name. There was maybe number eight for them. I thought was superb throughout the whole game. He's quite a small guy. Let um, me double check that. So I get it. Might right. be, it might be. I thought he was absolutely superb throughout the whole game. Yeah. And he, he, Lowry. It is Lowry, number yeah, eight. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, it is. He completely ran the whole show. Um, and I, he was way too good for any of our midfielders. When I spoke to the crew lad on the Railway Women podcast, uh, they were telling us they thought it would be, you know, 800 grand. They were thinking to try to raise for him 875 up to a million quid. So. I mean, obviously, other teams do rate their players maybe a little bit higher in transfer fees than they in realistically they get. But he's a 23-year-old centre midfielder who you can you get his foot on the ball and play it. But I think that would be a good investment, potentially. I'll jump in there with one more. I like Sam Nicholson. If we're touching on every single position on the pitch, we may as well pick a wide player as well that we like. Um, I quite like Sam Nicholson, who's been at Bristol Rovers, obviously. He, he's been one of their standout players, but he's been injured for the, the, sec- well, for the final part of the season. Obviously, they're now down and he's going to be looking to to maintain League One football because he's he is not the League Two player. Um, so I would imagine that his name is going to be bandied about in the League One transfer sort of saga. Um, I would quite like to see us, at least in the hat, considering him as an option, depending on whether or not, let's, if we don't go up, let's say that maybe Curtis goes to a championship club, a low, lower end of the championship club like he's been linked with before. I think Nicholson could be a good replacement if needs be. But I don't, I don't think it's the priority to bring in extra wide players. If we had everyone fit, we'd be sorted wide. I think just having Jacobs, like we were saying earlier, you we're trying to put together strong lineups. Miss, missing Jacobs is a huge hit. But um, yeah, if we lose a left-sided player, I think Nicholson would be quite good to bring in. Oh, if we're going to raid Bristol Rovers, let's go for it. Luke Leahy, I think. Um... Left back, sort of left wing back, can play further forward. But if we're going to go for someone to give some whip for Ronan Curtis on that left-hand side, Leahy, eight goals, three assists from left wing back this season for them. He's been their best player by far. We spoke to the Bristol Rovers gas cast guys. Um, he, he would be a, a good pickup. And he's 28 years old, so it would be a sort of, you know, more of a two, three-year maximum, well, it would be a more of a. He's not. He's not a prospect for the future, though. He is what he is. But I think at League One level, playing for us with maybe if you are going to play the wing back system that Sam was saying with with three at the back and on the right you might have Callum Johnson and Leahy on the left. I think would actually give this team quite a lot of balance and be able to dribble the ball out of the back as well, beat people and get around on the overlap. Sam, anyone else? Before we move on to the next question. Um, well, yeah, we, we, I've got the couple here. Um, we're it. talking about if we're talking about a left back and. I think that this is just criminal that this happened and the fact that we bought in Charlie Daniels from Shrewsbury and then Shrewsbury replaced him with someone who's clearly a lot better than Charlie Daniels when we weren't looking at a kind of a young, exuberant kind of left-back, that Ogbetter, who scored the goal against us. I, I thought he was... I, I couldn't believe he was playing for Shrewsbury. He looked like he, he looked like he'd been plucked from kind of like a Premier League team and just stuck in there stuck in uh, left back playing for Shrewsbury he he was way too good for them and he was probably one of the best players in the pitch that day I think he was come from Manchester City didn't he I'm not sure if he's on loan or it's a permanent Shrewsbury but they'll do very well to keep hold of him next season anyway and then but yeah that that would be that would be another name I'd throw out there if we were looking at another left back because can I see Charlie Daniels getting his contract extended no does Lee Brown need could I see Lee Brown maybe need some competition or getting his contract extended? Maybe not. So there would be need, there would be the need for someone else to come in there. Um, and I, I'd like us to kind of, especially in the fullback position, I would like us to kind of go down that route of having young, exciting fullbacks who 
you know, as I said, mentioned previously, like, like MK Dons, like Lincoln, mm. who've got that, that, that philosophy. Led, yeah, yeah. And, and Lincoln have got the same kind of thing where they've got these young, exciting fullbacks who are athletic and can bomb up and down the line every single game for 90 minutes. And that's that's what I'd like to see in those in those positions. And I think it's something that could happen with, uh, under the Cowleys because they have they have uh, kind of mentioned and there's been stuff released in the press about them wanting to recruit a certain type of player. I know Freddie's written a few things that have kind of referred to that. So that 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 would be the, the route I'd go down, especially in, in the left-back position. And yeah, that, that that's another name I throw out there. I mean, we're talking centre-halves as well. I mean, I looked at League Two for centre-halves and there's that, is it Boyle from Cheltenham, Cheltenham Town, Will Boyle from Cheltenham Town. Um, I watched the game against Man City in the FA Cup, thought he was superb, really good on the ball, quite tall as well. Big threat in the air. Reminded me a bit of Matt Clark. Um, so that that maybe that would be one I'd be looking at from League Two. And I think before we go into spilling too many more players, Andy, we'll move on because this is what we're going to be doing for the off-season, let's be honest, or when when uh, we are inevitably know what's going on. So we won't use all, all use up all the names and we'll promise to everyone listening we'll do a shitload of research, what a lot of video, talk to some scouts and try and come up with some some more solid uh, some more solid options for you guys. Um, Nicola Upfield messages in. She says, can't imagine why Andy wouldn't want to discuss the game on his birthday. Well, Nicola's got your back, mate, because I try to force you, but uh, obviously not. Yeah, cheers, Nicola. I appreciate that. Um, I think we were 2-0 down when she posted that, and I did reply, and then we pulled it back to 3-2, at which point I thought my reply looked a bit stupid, and then we conceded that, yeah, it's yeah. thanks, Nicola. I appreciate it. You've uh, always got my back. Bradley Hyde obviously got a bit excited before today. I can't believe you won 7-0 away at Accrington after only scoring twice in the last four games. You sarcastic man, Bradley. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. Gabe Sutton messages in. He says, if you stay down and Cowley remains, would you be happy with the 3-5-2 to be your primary setup next season? Gabe, we've already discussed the level of, yes, if we have the players to play it. I think that's that's what it is, I think, for me. It's about, if the Cowleys want to play that way and they recruit that way, I'm fine with it. I just, at the moment, I'm not really sure it's the the right system for us. Um... I'm just trying to think if I've got anything else I need to respond on. I think that's the same with with any formation, though. It, whatever they want to play, whichever way they want to play, any formation, as long as they've got the players to play that way. Essentially, that that's that's the line I'd go down with that. I'm just in um, on Twitter, Ryan Lewis pointed out this draw at Posh could help massively. Lincoln is still now with a shot of the automatics for their game in hand, so we'll do everything to win it against Charlton. So what if if Lincoln if Lincoln win their game in hand they can overtake Peterborough or in theory Peterborough's draw they can still Lincoln can still get promoted automatically Lincoln need to win all three of their remaining games and they need Peterborough to get one point no they need Peterborough realistically to lose their last two games because of goal difference so it's it's really unlikely but yeah Peterborough only drawing means it is still mathematically possible basically but it's very unlikely. Well, as we saw with Accrington today, it was mathematically possible to go into the playoffs. I mean, extremely unlikely, but it did mean they threw strikers on and went for it. I think as a manager, you have to do that. If you're still in the game, mathematically, you're not going to necessarily pack it in unless you're, you know, one of those teams that's really down on their luck. And Lincoln certainly aren't a team that are down on their luck at the moment. They're a team that are doing particularly well, playing well. And I think that they will go into it thinking maybe they can do a League Two Pompey and steal it at the end of the, at the, end of the season. Who knows? All right, well, cheers to everyone who messaged in. And let's go to the new feature, which will be here for, I don't know, depends how many games we have left in the season, but Playoff Watch. 
Pompey <laughs> currently in sixth in the league. Obviously, Charlton are behind us in eighth position with 67 points, but with a game in hand, Oxford at 68 points, one point behind us, but played the same amount of games. So it's still not quite in our hands, but as you say, Charlton have got some particularly difficult games coming up to play. Boys, I'm going to say to you now, I want you to list the teams you think will qualify for the playoffs and will go up automatically and we'll go from there. Andy, you can start us off, mate. Who do you think is going to get promoted automatically and who do you think is going to qualify from the playoffs? Um, so, automatics are pretty much dead set to be Hull and Peterborough. I mean, obviously, miracles happen. We've seen it with us winning League Two uh, at the end of the season, but I'd be very surprised if Peterborough slipped up in their final two games and didn't get any points whatsoever. Uh, in terms of playoffs, I'm fairly certain it's going to be Lincoln, Sunderland, and then one, oh, sorry, then two of um, Blackpool, Pompey, Charlton. I don't think Oxford are going to have enough. Um, so Blackpool, I think, are dead certs because they've got quite an easy run and they've got two of the relegated teams or like they've got uh, Bristol Rovers and Northampton in their last three games. So I imagine they'll be comfortably in the playoffs. And then I, I'm going to back us to take the final playoff spot. I think we'll finish in sixth because, as we've said, Charlton have got such a tough run and I just can't see them winning all three games. And I can see us winning both of our final two games. So, yeah, Holland Peterborough, Automatics, Lincoln, Sunderland, Blackpool, Pompey. So, actually, how it is exactly now in the table is uh, how I think it will finish. Andy Mitchmore shouting, stop the count. I like that. Um, Get the T-shirts in. Another <laughs> club has done them very successfully. Why not? Six, fours in, let's go. I agree that Holland Peterborough get promoted automatically. Should we just, should we just write that off? I've got to agree with that and say that we can tick those boxes probably. Yeah, yeah, they've they've been comfortably the, the best teams in the division uh, over the course of this season. Fair play to them. I feel that like Peterborough deserved it after that the absolute farce which was last season, and, and the EFL deciding that Wickham should go up and take their playoff spot. So fair play to Peterborough; they deserve to go up. But yeah, I actually am along the same lines as Andy. There, I, I think that Lincoln will will finish in third, Sunderland fourth, and then up until tonight. I was actually going to say that Blackpool could be one of the teams to drop out. They obviously lost their last two before tonight. Uh, lost at home to Shrewsbury at the weekend. But th- that's a big result for them tonight against Sunderland. Um, that, for me, has kind of guaranteed their playoff spot. And then, yeah, I just... out. Of the, I, I can't see Oxford having enough, personally. I feel that if we win our next two games, it will be enough because I, I can't see uh, Charlton winning all three of their games, especially against, I mentioned earlier, Lincoln. I, I can't see them going there and getting any sort of result. Um, obviously, Hull have still got the title to fight for. And then Accrington, as we previously mentioned, uh, are clearly a good attacking team. So can I see Charlton getting results at all of those grounds? Certainly not. And I think you'd be there's too many variables to go against them in those games where I can't see they're going to get all those results. So obviously I'm going to back Pompey to get in the sixth spot and we end up playing Lincoln in the semi-final. But yeah, I do feel if we win our next two games, we should it should be enough to secure a playoff spot. And as Cowley said before, this game, seven points should be enough. So obviously tonight was absolutely gutting and we'd be in a much better position. It would be in our own hands now if we'd if we managed to hold on. But I, I do still feel that six points should be enough to kind of sneak it in there. 
are Sunderland just trying to bottle it so they don't have to play us in the first round? Is that even though they've beaten us, is, is that is that the plan? Because I'm looking at the results here uh recently and you, you think that they were gonna challenge for the autos and then when you look at recent results, you know, they they beat Oxford 3-1 because Oxford had a player sent off, drew away at Peterborough, and you think, here we go, this is all right. Then they lose 2-1 to Charlton, lose 2-1 to Wigan, lose 1-0 to Blackpool, um, draw with Hull, draw with Accrington, and then lose to Blackpool again. They've got Plymouth and uh, away, followed by Northampton at home. You've got to say they've got a playoff place, even with their dreadful form, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Oh, you go, Andy. All right, no, so that's I, cool. I, I, yeah, I don't have much to add to that, to be honest. So let's move on then, really. So Cholton, yeah, fuck it. Let's back the boys to come. Let's do it. Hull, Peterborough, Lincoln, Sunderland, Blackpool, Portsmouth. Let's see if we're right. If you don't agree with us, at PO Forecast, message us in. Um, I don't think there's anything in particular I want to really add to that, apart from Cholton have got those difficult games remaining. I know you're saying you're writing Oxford off. Let's just have a look at the rest of the, the games they've got. Obviously, one point behind us. They go away to Shrewsbury, followed by a game at home to Burton, who are probably going to be... Well, I don't know if they are safe now, but they're pretty... They are. Yeah, so they Burton are. are safe now. Uh, away to Shrewsbury, who are also safe. That could be quite easily six points there for Oxford. So it would count on us definitely. It could be, though, Andy. It's not... If you look at the form that they've been in, um, they won 3-1 against Plymouth. Obviously, they had that game and they lost to Wimbledon. But before that, they beat Gillingham 3-2. They beat Shrewsbury 4-1. And they beat Crewe 6-0. So they are on pretty decent form. Uh, and if you look at the game against Accrington, obviously... Sorry, if you look at the games coming up, they're not they're not unwinnable, are they, for, for Oxford? And you, would you not back them to get six points? I wouldn't back them to get three points against, against Burton. Burton still haven't lost away from home this calendar year. It's okay. not it's not a gimme and Burton beat Fleetwood five two last time out at home. There yeah. I, I think that Burton could be a massive stumbling block for Oxford on the last day of the season. Here's hoping. Sam? Really quickly really quickly, is that mm. this is just another point um separate to Oxford. Did Wimbledon play tonight? And if so, what was the score? Because whether they lost. stayed up they lost. Okay. I think it was 2-0 to Rochdale last time I saw Andy. Can you look that up? Uh, they, they drew 3 all. Are you joking me? No, I drew 3 so all. Are they mathematically safe or not? Because this is this is obviously no. next next week, whether they have anything to play for against... Or, or was it next week? On Saturday, whether they've got anything to play for against us. And no, they definitely... They, um, Wimbledon are 50 points. Rochdale in 21st run 44 so they're effectively safe. If they lose both games and Rochdale and Northampton or Rochdale or Northampton win win both of their games, then they could still go down. But Rochdale have got a five goal a five goal worse goal difference. Northampton have got a nine goal worse goal difference. So it's pretty unlikely. But they they still Wimbledon still need one more point to guarantee safety. They're going to approach the game, Sam, as if they need a point, I think. I think yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was just, I met, I thought about it on Saturday, like the Wimbledon result would be important tonight because obviously whether they've got to, whether they're going to be fighting for their lives or whether they're going to be on the on the beach already. Well, not on the beach because you can't go anywhere this year, but you, you know what I mean. Um, so that that was that was just another result I'd be looking out for this, this tonight anyway. But yeah, as you mentioned about Oxford, I, I don't necessarily think Burton would be a, would be a walk in the park for them 
given the form they've been in since Hasselbank took over, they've been one of the best teams in the league. So I do feel that the final, I, I'd go as far to say now is that it's it's three, it's kind of three teams for one place as opposed to for four for two, because I do feel that Blackpool will cement that final spot. I, I can't see any, any of us kind of, any of Charlton, Oxford or Portsmouth taking that spot. Um, so I, I'd say it would be kind of both Charlton, Oxford and Portsmouth going for that final spot. And just because of Charlton's running and the fact Oxford have to play Burton, I do feel that if Pompey win their two games, it will be enough. I think if you look at the table, you, you are or you wonder whose position you'd rather be in at a Pompey, Oxford, Charlton. Obviously, if Charlton win all their games, they're in there. But at this point, I'd rather have points on the board. It's like in cricket when you'd rather have runs on the board. Like you look at the teams lower than us in the table. At one point, I thought Charlton were going to not run away with it, but be competing with Hull for the title. Um, Accrington Stanley were up there. You're fancying them for the playoffs at one point. They're now down in 11th. Ipswich were looking good for automatics at one point, which is crazy. Doncaster with like four games in hand. If they'd won all those, they'd have been in the top two. So like there were a lot of teams who have dropped off and it just shows that it's better to have points on the board at this stage in the season. So I'd rather be in Pompey's shoes than Oxford or Charlton purely because we've got more points. And that sounds so simple, but that counts for everything at this stage. I think as well, when you look at previous seasons, when you look at, uh, when was it, the two seasons ago when we when we just missed out on automatics, and finished, I think it was a fourth or third or fourth. That was a, you could see there, we had games in hand that season and we kept on thinking, you know, we win our games in hand. We win our game in hand against Peterborough in the penultimate weekend of the season, uh, the midweek of the season. We would have gone up if we won our game. For me, points on the board are, are, way, are far more important than games in hand. That's just going off previous experience with Pompey because we've all, personally, I thought, oh, we've got games in hand, we'll, we'll win them. Winning those games is far harder than getting the points. And we need to get the points on the board. So, I'd say that at the moment, I'd rather be in Pompey's position because if, if say that if they lost all their games and we lost all of ours, we'd still be in the playoffs. So, yeah, I do feel at the moment points on the board over games in hand any day of the week. Yeah, especially with only a few games remaining, you always want the points on the board because Charlton would know the pressure now that they've got to win yeah. that game in hand. The pressure is going to be on them to do that. All right, let's look forward to this Wimbledon game. AFC Wimbledon, down in the bottom, as we said, they need a point to secure their place in League One for another season. Unbeaten in six games, four wins in a row before, after a 5-1 win against Accrington. Followed that up with a 3-0 win against Paul Cook's Ipswich. And then a 4-1 win against Swindon, a 2-1 win against Oxford. But recently, that form has halted slightly. They went away and only drew against Ipswich, the nil-nil specialist, eight times. I think they've got nil-nil now uh, this season. whoop do to be an Ipswich fan. Followed that up then today with a 3-3 draw against Rochdale. I mean, they were losing 2-0 in that game, so they've come back to win three... Th- uh, sorry, come back to draw 3-3. Three, three. They're battling for their lives, boys, aren't they? Because they look like they were down. They definitely look like they were down. They've come back again, unbeaten in six games... They seem to be playing a 4-4-2, it looks like, on the formation, when before they played a very much a 3-5-2 sort of formation that was really five at the back, really, for a lot of time, because they played without the ball, and then they sort of hit you on the counter-attack, you know, if possible, with those players then flooding wide. I think it's going to be an interesting game. They've got Ollie Palmer up front, haven't they, as well? They've been playing up front with Joe Piggott, who sort of can provide that platform, potentially, I suppose, going forward to 
to get the ball long and get it to Joe Piggott as well and hold it up top. I think it's going to be a pretty difficult game. Alex Woodyard, I think, is very good in centre of midfield. He's a player that I quite like as well, playing for them. Gets the ball moving. I, I'm not convinced about that defence, generally. And I think that Pompey need to put the pressure on and go a couple of goals up. If Wimbledon have to come out and attack us, I, I think we'll do all right. Uh, Sam, what are your takes on Wimbledon so far in this game? And do you think this is going to be a win for Pompey? Oh, first of all, I'm absolutely gutted that Obviously, this this is one game that I was really gutted I couldn't go to because obviously Wimbledon go back to Plough Lane and and my dad used to live up there and I would have loved to have gone and just Plough Lane kind of it's kind of a historic old ground and I would have loved to have gone there this well to the new Plough Lane this season would have been a great away day um, but yeah I, I am a bit worried as you've just mentioned there Joe Piggott Palmer up front two physical strikers and it kind of reminds me of the Bristol Rovers game when Bristol Ro- at Bristol Rovers when we lost 3-1 they went very direct pumping long balls up and we just couldn't deal with it and you, you would have think we'd normally be able to deal with it with Raggett and Watmore being very confident in the air but we just couldn't deal with it and this this game could be similar to that if they're going to be direct and as you mentioned it's a, it's a game we have to take to them we have to put them under pressure we have to put the defence under pressure They've got a few youngsters playing as well. I know there's a few academy graduates they've got. So it's an opportunity to really press them from the front, prevent them from making those kind of those long balls with the they've got their they get time to get their head up. They can pick the pass and make a good pass. So yeah, that that that's the one bit of concern if it's a direct game and, and they may just bombard us a little bit. But ultimately we should have enough quality going forward, especially on the wings, to really hurt them. Uh, and punish the, the the kind of lack of quality they've got in the defensive areas. Are we going to change it up from today, do you think? Do you think, is Cowley going to roll out the same side or hopefully Lee Brown's back? Let's be honest, let's put that out there. If Lee Brown's back, are we going back to a a four four sort of a four four two? Do Does does Marcus need someone up, up front with him? I think if, if Lee Brown comes back, I mean, if Lee Brown's fit, he's got to come back in. I mean, I mean that 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 surely has to happen because it just it it kind of makes the balance of the side so much better. It, everyone can kind of play in their natural position as as opposed to a bit of kind of a a makeshift defence. And you've got Ryan Williams playing right wing back. You can you can really relieve him of that defensive duty, and you can play in playing out on the right wing or, or up front with Mark Chris Harness out on the right, Curse on the left. It's a lot more natural. Um, and then they can really start to get those those triangles going. There's, with, they've been mentioned quite a bit with with Close and Naylor in the in the middle. And I, I do feel this could be a game for Ben Close as well. I mean, just tonight the conditions really didn't suit him. But if it's a game we're going to try and dominate, try and get on the ball, try and press him from the front, try and take the game to Wimbledon as opposed to being dominated by well dominated by them or, or just bullied off the ball like, like that, that happened at Bristol Rovers. Ben Close could be the person to really like kind of set the tempo of the game. And I don't I wouldn't want to see him just on kind of he didn't play badly tonight, but I don't want to see him dropped off the back of tonight. And I, I'd like to see him kind of retain his place because personally I don't think Andy Cannon came in, he did a job, but I don't think he did enough to, to merit starting against uh against Wimbledon. No, I'd rather use Cannon as as an impact player to bring energy at the moment in time. To try and yeah. keep that spark, you know, to come on and you know he's done it. I mean, he came on and scored a goal, for instance. He's, he does come on and 
and drive play forward more directly when we need to, when maybe when we're not, those balls aren't working, when passing through teams aren't working, maybe then you throw Cannon on to try and penetrate the defence in a different way. But yeah, so if we say we've got closely playing in there with, with Tom Naylor, who do you, who do you do? Do you put one of the wingers up, up top effectively? Or, or do you play a more central player, like someone like George Bias who, who started today? I do think there's that option to play one of the wingers in a slightly more advanced position. I mean, I don't, crippled by injuries is probably an exaggeration at the moment, but it's definitely going to impact the way we have to line up against Wimbledon. Um, I'd, I'd much, I'd like to see us go back to the four-four-two formation, to be honest with you. And again, I'm shameless optimism before I hit my miserable, pessimistic thirties. I'm thinking that now Marquis has, has you know scored a couple and got a bit of that, hopefully that mojo back. Starting him up front in a two with one of those normal wide players playing alongside him um, would be the way forward for me. Is that answering the question you asked, by the way? I like It was a bit dodgy connection, so I don't know if I've actually answered what you asked there, mate. Yeah, you've answered it. I do think it's fair to say, Sam, that whatever the formation is, it's really now about the back and the centre being solid and the forward players can sort of be a little bit more fluid on how they how they interact with each other on the pitch. So sometimes you might see Harness dropping in more narrow and going up, or if you played one of the sort of someone like Byers off the middle, they can interchange a bit with Curtis coming inside. Yeah, I do think you have to have that in, go in forward areas in particular. Like you, it's, as a defender, your right back, your right centre-half, left centre-half, they, if you've got your wingers and strikers and number 10s interchanging, it's very hard to mark. It's very hard to pick up. Um, and I do feel that fluidity you do need going going forward in, in forward areas, your, your left winger inter- interchanging. It, it confuses defenders. It makes it very hard to to kind of stick to one man, if you like. And and you you, you get your wingers swapping as well. That, that can obviously throw off fullbacks as well. So, But then, as you said, you do need the the kind of the solid spine to your team and that this season is just especially in the kind of defensive areas has really struggled and really hindered us you look at the 2018-19 season when we we nearly got promoted we had a solid back four for the whole for the whole season it with Lee Brown Matt Clark Christian Burgess and uh, uh, Nathan Thompson yeah they, they were they were the back four for the whole season and Pompey were very good defensively. They, they, they were they were cohesive. They they built partnerships. They they knew how to play with each other, and they didn't concede many goals at all. And that has just not happened this season. You can't really build you can't really build a promotion winning team without that cohesive defensive line. It doesn't matter what you do going forward because if if you if you're conceding like we conceded three goals tonight, we conceded against MK Dons two weeks ago. We conceded three against Swindon. It, it does show that you can't you can't defend you can't have the the chain the kind of the churn if you like of these defensive players and expect there to be the same kind of results as when you've got a solid back four. So that that would be the the one thing I'd say about this season compared to previous seasons when we've been quite good defensively. So I'm going to ask you to quickly a question, Sam. Do you start buyers in the next game? Yes or no? Yeah. <sighs> Oh my god, you throw me here. Uh no, I don't. Andy? Yes, I do. Ooh. I'm gonna say well, if you start buyers though in your four four two, 
Andy, where's he playing? Just uh, they're not, they're okay. the, there's no follow-up questions here. This isn't an interview. Yeah, is. come on. <laughs> that's what I'm doing as the host. Uh, my job. Come on, Andy, answer the question. I. That's a really good question. You playing I, in four-four-one-one? Yeah, but I've just said that I think Marcus needs someone alongside him, so I can't really go with that, can I? Um, I honestly don't know. I don't. I feel like he deserves to be played. I really do. I don't think you can. I think the performances he's put in, particularly like little moments of magic, that are what we need. Potentially, when you're breaking down a team who are setting up for a, a point, I think you need moments of magic. If you just try and do the repeat, you know, get the ball into the mixer. Etc. Then it's potentially not going to work as well against a team looking for a point. We need individual moments of quality, and I'd put him and Curtis as the two players who are most likely to create that. And I think you've got to find a way of fitting that into the team. And I have not drawn out a formation that would involve that and have two up top. Cool. Yeah, I'm going to go Closey, Naylor, Byers, Curtis, Harness, and Marquis up top. Whether Byers is off the striker. Uh, that's what I, I'm going to say for Wimbledon. I think they're a team a bit like in the game against Bristol Rovers who are potentially going to sit back if they get a win and we need someone in close spaces who can maybe unlock a team. But you could argue you could put Harness there as well. He could do a similar sort of job. So Sam's looking like he's concentrating hard. So are you no, going to put was... that or are you spacing out at the end of the podcast? No, no, no. I just had like formations. Like when you asked the question, I just had formations, names, players all like flying through my head. And I was just like, didn't know whether to say yes or no. But the, the main reason I went no would be because I just, I didn't, I didn't want to drop. I didn't want to not be, I didn't want Williams, Harness or Curtis not to be playing. Um, I just feel that the, the kind of energy that Williams provides, although he hasn't got much end product, it it does add something to the team, and if if we're going to press Wimbledon, I think that that maybe could could be beneficial. But then again, as you've just mentioned, you've just mentioned there, played buyers in in that kind of number ten role with uh, Curtis and Harness out wide, marks up front. I do think there's something in that as well. So it, 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 you can kind of go at it two ways. You can go at the way you've mentioned. If they're going to sit back, try and absorb pressure, buyers is your man because he cannot unlock a defence, but. If they're going to maybe take the game to us a bit more, try and play, I do feel that maybe a, a more energetic workman-like player may be the, may be the way to go. But again, you, it, the Cowleys haven't been afraid to change, have they, at half-time? They showed it today. They haven't been afraid to change formation. They haven't been afraid to change personnel. So the, the way the game goes, I'm sure they'll adjust to what they see fit as being the best way to, to adapt to win the game against Wimbledon. Yeah, all we need to do is press from the front. Don't give them any time. If they're going to play the ball long, make them panic and play the ball wayward so it's not as meaningful. I think if we bring our game to Wimbledon and players, we can do second half style performance when you press teams properly, especially teams, you know, Accrington do have more quality across the team than, than Wimbledon, arguably. All right, boys, it's been a long night. Let's get into our score predictions. Andy Mitchell, what is your score prediction for the game against AFC Wimbledon? Uh, 2-0 Pompey win, Harness and Marquis for me. Cool as you like, Mitchell Moore. He's got that birthday vibe going on. He's smiling away, <laughs> looking forward to his birthday. Congratulations, Andy Mitchell. Happy 30th for tomorrow. It's what is it? It's hour and 20 minutes away. Enjoy life. And Sam, what is your score prediction for the game against AFC Wimbledon? I'm going to go 3-1 Pompey. I'm going to go Curtis to get two, Marcus to get one. Uh, I think it'll be comfortable with 3-0 up maybe just let one goal slip but I 
it's a game we have to win. It's a game I think we will win. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm going to go for. And I'm going to go for a 3-2 Pompey win. Why not? Last minute, last minute goal. Sean Raggett from the back. No, I'm joking. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm generally thinking it's going to be a high-scoring game. You look at, I know Rochdale conceded lots of goals as well, but Wimbledon have been scoring goals and they have got players like Piggott up front, 19 goals this season. Ollie Palmer is always one of those annoying players. He, he's a bit of a, he's a hassle, isn't he? Let's be honest. So I'm going to go for a 3-2 Pompey win. Goals from, oh, it's difficult at the moment. Curtis has scored a goal. Curtis, Byers and Harness. There you go. If Byers starts, that is. But I think if he does, I'll back him to get a goal. There we are. Andy, it's been great having you on the podcast, mate. Cheers. Thank you, bud. And thanks for the happy birthday. You made it sound there like I'm not actually going to make it to 31. I have a nice life and all that, but I'm hopeful that we'll have other birthdays to celebrate on it. Mate, with that glowing complexion, you'll definitely make it to 31. Sam, it's been great (laughs) having you on the podcast. Cheers, lads. Great to chat. (laughs) All right. And until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.